0: Hey, my name's Matt Kennedy, and this is the Steadfast Podcast. This podcast exists to use Bible study and theological teaching to encourage you to be steadfast in your faith. Thank you for taking time out of your day to check out the Steadfast Podcast. I hope today's episode is an encouragement to you. Consider the words of God as found in Isaiah chapter 1, verses 11 through 20. Quote, what to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of ram and the fat of well-fed beast. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and appointed feast, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken." You don't need a seminary degree to weigh out what the Lord was using Isaiah to speak to. God's people were doing whatever they wanted to do, evil, despicable things. And then they made sacrifices to God as like this half-hearted apology. This crowd still exists today. They're the, I'll do what I want and God will forgive me crowd. If we read these verses carefully, verse 15 should jump out to us. It says, quote, When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen." Your hands are full of blood. End quote. God told them He would not listen to their prayers because of the nature of their sins. What a scary thought that is. We see in this passage that God is a forgiving God; that He is full of grace. But for forgiveness to truly take place, there has to be true admission of sin and desire to repent. We can't just do whatever we want, whenever we want, however we want, and then come to God as some half-hearted apology, hoping it will be forgiven. What do you think these verses reveal that God wants from His people? He wants for them to stop doing evil, to learn to do good, to seek justice, to correct oppression, to bring justice to the fatherless, to plead the cause of the widow. All of those are true. God lists each of them, yet they're all example of a greater thing that God wants from His people. Verse 19 says, "...if you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land." end quote. God desires obedience from His people. He wants His people to obey Him. But what does that mean? I think to truly understand that question, we have to look at the motivations of the heart. We will find our answer in a very familiar parable found in Luke chapter 10. Our first point of the day, when obedience is out of duty, we look for loopholes. When obedience is out of duty, we look for loopholes. Verse 25, quote, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? Don't think courtroom when you see lawyer here. Depending on your translation, lawyer could also be translated as expert in the law or scribe. Now, if Bible trivia was a thing back then, these guys would destroy the competition. You see, copy machines didn't exist back then. Printers didn't exist back then. So in order to have a bunch of copies of the scriptures, someone would have to write it out by hand. That was these guys. They would copy it one letter at a time. Then when they got to the end of a line, they'd have to go back and count how many letters were in that line to make sure there was zero mistakes, to make sure they had copied it to perfection. And on a side note, this is all the more reason that we didn't have confidence that our Old Testament that we have today that you hold in your hands is exactly the same. I mean, it's in English, not Hebrew, but it's exactly the same as it was back then. So since these people spent so much time in the law, they knew it really, really well. They would use that knowledge to publicly teach the Scriptures, which is a good thing, right? And sometimes multiple scribes and a Pharisee would discuss and debate the Scriptures publicly so that other people could hear and other people could learn about what God has revealed in His Word. Now, that's probably what this lawyer is trying to start here. When he stands up to put Jesus to the test and ask Him the question, He's probably thinking, okay, I'm a scribe, this dude's a rabbi, let's have a public theological, scriptural conversation. Jesus wisely asked the expert of the law what the law says. And you'll notice in the Gospels, Jesus answers a lot of questions by asking questions. And that's what he does here. Now let's continue in this conversation in verse 27. And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? The lawyer clearly knows this stuff. He answered correctly. He has read the law. He has copied the law. He knows the law. If you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself perfectly from birth to death, you have fulfilled the law and life is yours. But what's the problem here? I mean, it's super obvious, right? Why doesn't that work for us? Why doesn't it work for the lawyer? It's because none of us have loved God in that way. And while we may have had moments of loving our neighbor as ourselves, we definitely don't keep that up 24-7, 365, because we are selfish people. So we fall short. We fall way, way short. Maybe the scribe is caught off guard that Jesus is actually agreeing with him here. There seems to be a sting of conviction with the words, do this. I mean, if this scribe is anything like me, he suddenly remembered 10 million examples when he did not do this well. So to justify himself, to make himself seem like he has done this well, he asked, who is my neighbor? The more you think about this question, the harder it is. Because at the end of the day, you would only ask this question if you are desiring or wanting to eliminate groups of people from being your neighbor. What does that mean? That means you are eliminating parts of the population that you don't have to love them as much as you love yourself. You are saying, hey, there are some people I will love as myself, but then others, mm, not so much. You see, he wasn't doing what was right, but he wanted to be right. And I think most of us can relate to that. We often want to be right even when we are so far from being right. He wanted the stamp of approval that says, hey, you're doing all right. You're doing okay. To somehow lower the standard. You know what he's doing? He is looking for a loophole. I think we see this when we ask questions like, is it a sin if right? How far can I go up to this line without it being sin? We can so easily fall into looking for loopholes, looking for how much we can get away with. And I'm not sure that's the kind of heart posture that is honoring to the Lord. He's not looking for people who have this begrudging obedience who just obey out of duty, but hate it every step of the way. That's not a love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, all your mind kind of obedience. But what if? What if we flip the question? What if we saw that obedience, true obedience, the kind the Lord is looking for, is something that flows out of our heart? You see, when obedience is out of duty, we will look for loopholes. But when obedience is out of love, we will look for opportunities. Let's start in verse 30. Quote, Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. End quote. See, this man was traveling down a road that was known to be dangerous, it was notorious for possible ambush points. People were always scanning around, looking around, trying to figure out, all right, is there a robber around the corner? Now, this man, he is attacked by robbers who beat him brutally. They strip him of his clothes. They take his money. So he's laying there. He's helpless. He can't walk. He's probably slipping in and out of consciousness. I mean, think about it. If a wild animal came by, he would not be able to defend himself. He is totally 100% 100% at the mercy of anyone who passes by. He has nothing to bring to the table to offer anyone for help. He has nothing to offer. And I think that's important for us to remember. This guy has nothing to offer anyone. So anyone who helps them will just be showing mercy and grace upon him. Verse 31 and 32, quote, Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So, likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. End quote. We don't need to go into too much detail about these guys. They're the super religious people, the type of people that religious people really respected and really honored. Surely, people whose life is dedicated to serving God would stop and help a man half dead on the side of the road. Surely, those who know the most about God, know the most about His mercy, would extend mercy to someone who desperately needs it, even if he can't bring anything to the table. Right? Surely, surely. But what do they do? They step to the other side of the road. They didn't draw near to the man in need. They put distance between them. There's a pretty huge gap between knowing the right thing and doing the right thing. I mean, they probably had reasons, right? Just like the lawyer who was talking to Jesus. Maybe they were too busy. Maybe they were too scared. To them, they did other things in obedience to God. Maybe they saw it as they had done enough. They had checked off the obedience box. They had found the loophole. They didn't need to serve in this way. Or maybe they were busy doing something they thought was obedience. Maybe they thought, okay, the mission that I'm on, the objective I'm on, it is more important than helping this man who is helpless on the side of the road. Verse 33 and following, quote, But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back." The Samaritan's really an unlikely person in this story. This is a major plot twist. You see, Samaritans and Jews, they hated one another. By the time Jesus walked the earth, this conflict went back hundreds of years. These two groups of people avoided each other at all costs. They did horrible things to one another. One time there was this Jewish priest who decided it was a good idea to set the Samaritan place of worship on fire. Definitely not cool. And there was another time when Samaritans snuck into the temple in Jerusalem. They couldn't set it on fire, but they did scatter bones all over the place also not cool. It's actually a bit strange that the Samaritan was here at all. Probably wasn't safe for him to be walking these roads. I mean, obviously there are robbers, but also there are Jews who had preferred him dead than alive. But here he is. He is here on this road, and look at what he does. He shows compassion. That compassion leads him to sacrificial action. This isn't merely an act of duty. It's an act of love. This man is saying, hey, this is my neighbor, and I'm going to love my neighbor as myself. You see, love is something that looks past the conflict. It looks past the history. It sees the human being who is made in the image of God. It sees the person's value. It sees the person's dignity and the person's purpose. It sees all of that and does what is good for the person. Because you know what? Love does not keep score. Verse 36 quote, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. Quote. Pretty easy question, right? But now the lawyer no doubt sees that he doesn't keep the law, that he cannot earn eternal life. So many times when it comes to sin, we ask, how far can I go before it's sin? Or when it comes to things we know we ought to do, we ask, what's the minimum I need to be good? All this misses the point altogether, and that's what Jesus is showing the lawyer in this story. When obedience is out of duty, we look for loopholes. When obedience is out of love, we look for opportunities. Religion is about checking the box. Do what you got to do to be good. Nothing more, nothing less. God calls us to a relationship with Him. And when we respond to the love that He shows us with love towards other people, things totally change. We come to a place where we are seeking, as Ephesians 5 1 says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. It's more about who we are becoming than what we are doing. We haven't kept the law. We are sinners who have fallen short, that need the grace of God, that need the mercy of God to save us and change us and to use us to save other people. I mean, don't you know if you are the lawyer that's in the situation who's hearing this story of the good Samaritan, the fact that it's the Samaritan that's the hero of the story, it's got a sting It's got to bring conviction. It's got to bring the realization that, hey, I have fallen short. The priest in the story fell short. The Levite in the story fell short. They weren't fulfilling the law. The teachers of the law was falling short. The love in, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself, is a love that comes from God. It is supernatural. We don't become the loving neighbor by trying harder. We become the loving neighbor by pursuing God with all we've got and seeing Him change us. With that in mind, I want you to think about how you can love others as yourself this week. Not in a way that religiously checks a box, but in a way like, hey, how can I worship my God? How can I love my God by loving other people? How can I choose obedience over selfishness this week? How can I delight in mercy towards other people like God has delighted in mercy towards me? Where are my opportunities to love my God with all that I am and to love my neighbor as I love myself? Remember, when obedience is out of duty, we look for loopholes. But when obedience is out of love, we will look for opportunities. Thanks for listening to the Steadfast Podcast. I want to remind you that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, Paul wrote this, quote, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain, end quote. So in light of biblical truth, let us be steadfast, immovable. Let us remember that through Jesus, not one labor is in vain, not one trial is in vain, not one effort in all of our lives is in vain. Because he gives purpose, and that purpose rings through eternity. That's all I've got for you today. Thank you so much for listening. And don't forget, if you've got questions you would like answered, you can email me at matt at steadfastpodcast